Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, senior pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. The sermon you're about to hear is a re-recording of a sermon preached at Prospect Baptist Church on May the 30th, 2021. Because of technical difficulties, this sermon was re-recorded in the studio and brought to you today. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn them on or turn them to the book of Galatians chapter number four. And uh, we are working our way through this series, and we are coming this morning to verses 1 through 7. We honestly have a lot that we can get to, so I really just want us to dive in this morning. This text is filled with a lot of truths and a lot of theology. And so, if you would, out of honor and reverence of God's Word, if you would stand as we read this passage together. This is the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and that you would give us ears to hear. Father, above all, that you would illumine Jesus Christ and that he would be exalted in this text and that he would make a way, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, by your spirit that you would give us hearts to receive your word, to believe it, in faith and to obey and apply your word in all of our lives. We love you, Lord. Help us to love you more. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I want to call your attention this morning to three things. Number one is man's condition. Point number two is God's provision. And point number three is our adoption as sons. Beginning in point number one, man's condition, I get this from verses one through three. The Apostle Paul says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Paul begins in this way. He says, I mean, or here is what I mean. He has previously compared the law to a prison warden or to tutors. No further development. Now he further develops his language to guardians and managers, to whose job it was to hold in place until the coming of an age of a child. The age here is not a numerical age, but instead an age that is determined by the father. Paul primarily is speaking to Jewish Christians who were under the law until the coming of Christ with the Gentiles in view as well. 
that the law was to supervise and to hold, to hold us in check until the legal minority was of age, and that age has come in Christ and through His Spirit. Paul's point is that the law really is quite elementary. It's returning to the law would be going back to something that is basic, and further, it would be enslaving. But yet, through Christ, Paul says, you are no longer slaves. You're no longer under bondage. We have something better than that, namely sonship. We have the full rights and privileges now as a child. Ritualism has been replaced with relationship. The law has been replaced now with love. You are no longer slaves, but sons. We aren't saved by the law, and we're not saved through the law, but we are saved out from under it. And now we have been brought into full maturity into Christ. You see this picture of a child. The emphasis is so long as the child is under guardians and managers, he is no different than a slave. Paul has two points here, that the child does not have any rights to the inheritance until the father gives the order. Secondly, the burden of time, chronos in the Greek that there is a time that in that would shift and things would change because it was appointed by his father. He would appoint the time to send Christ, verse 4. And he would, at the right time, send the spirit of his son into the hearts of those who are born again, verse 6. But until then, They are under the law. They are under guardians and managers. They are under the governance of another. And Paul is crafting an illustration here in that before Christ, Jewish Christians and you too, Galatians, before you were believers, you were under the law. The law was keeping watch over you and you were in bondage that the law has brought upon you. You were no different than a slave, and a slave to sin you were. When we were children, because of the law, and he takes this analogy a bit further, we're enslaved to the bondage and enslaved to sin. Both Jews and Gentiles, you too, were enslaved to the principles of this world. All are under sin. Both Jew and Gentiles, all are under equal footing here. And the phrase in the Greek is elementary principles of the world. The apostle would use this language again in verse 4 and verses 8 through 10, and we'll look at that next week. But the language is used as well in Colossians chapter 2, and he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophies or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, not according to Christ. That's Colossians 2 verse 8. And then in Colossians 2 verse 20, he says this, If Christ, if, in, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, as if you were still alive in the world, do not, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, do not taste, do not touch. There was a simplicity that the Apostle Paul was bringing out. There's an elementary aspect of the law and to say that the law was very basic. And more than it was just basic, it brought bondage. 
it had a condemning nature. Because of sin, there was evil in sin, and it spread through the keeping of demonic forces, that sin and death are a result therein, and they held us captive as well. This is precisely why we were enslaved, because the God of this age has held us captive, 2 Timothy 2, 26. And the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers from seeing the truth of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And the God of this world is exercising dominion over this world, though he is held on a short, short leash. Yet it's still true because of sin, Satan exercises temporal dominion over this present evil age. And he seeks to twist and to distort all of the things of this world. Things like we looked at last week, like race and status and gender. And so the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He would say in Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and when you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all much lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And Paul's point and the contrast that he is all around the book of Galatians, especially at the end of chapter 3 and end of chapter 4 as we looked at this morning, is that the only way we become children of God is through the true and final Son. That is Christ. He is Abraham's offspring and that we are sons of God through faith in Christ, that we both Jews and Greeks are enslaved in this world and by sin. That is our condition that Israel would prove to be a son who failed and that Gentiles would be condemned because of sin and their rebellion just as Israel was. This is our state without Christ. We have no rights. We have no inheritance. We are enslaved, helpless, hopeless, and outsiders of the inheritance and rights in God's kingdom. This is the fallen condition of man under sin, deserving of God's wrath and judgment, and children of wrath, not of God children of wrath like the rest of mankind, both Jew and Gentile, without hope, in bondage and enslaved, until a true son came. Point number two, God's provision. See this in verse four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is a but God moment. That this is, this was your condition, but God has done something that even in our bondage and condemnation, God sent forth his son. That is, he is fully God, born woman. That is, he is fully man. The theological term for this is the term hypostatic union. Jesus was not 
part man and part God, he is not divided in that way, in that he would have parts or sides. No, he is a hundred percent man, born of a woman. He is the offspring of the woman. He is the one through the promise of Eve would be fulfilled. He is the serpent killer and the serpent crusher. And he is a hundred percent God that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Colossians 2, 9. Paul would say it in this way in Philippians chapter two, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who was though in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped or something to be taken advantage of. But he emptied himself. And the word emptied there does not mean that he depleted. It merely means that he put on, he clothed himself in flesh by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. John 1 would say it this way, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Son of God, son of man, if he were not fully God, he could, only God could pay the debt that we owed. Yet God did not owe the debt. And if he was not fully man, he could not stand in our place in order to pay our debt. And this is precisely why Jesus is the only fitting substitute and means of our salvation. He is the only one that is worthy enough with enough credit or merit or holiness in his account to pay our debts, the debt of our sin that we owe. And he is the only one that can stand and suffer and die in our place. Because he is 100% God and 100% man. He was born under the law. And in the same way that we are born under the law and we fell into sin, Christ would never sin. He is the perfect son of God. And so he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that we might have a, he might become a merciful high priest and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. And Christ is the only fitting substitute, fully God, fully man fully God and that he had enough righteousness to pay the debt, though God did not owe the debt, and fully man, and that he could pay the fine for us. And note the language of the Apostle Paul in verse 3. We also, both Jews and Greeks, when we were children, we're not merely under guardians and managers. No, we were enslaved. And he lumps both Jews and Gentiles into the same category. And he does it again in verse 5 in that we have received adoption. That is, Jews and Gentiles, those who are in Christ, 
are the adopted sons of God. This is what he is hammering home in Galatians 3, 29, or 26 through 29. Paul's point is showing you who the true son is, and he is hammering this home that Christ is the true offspring. He is the true son. Being in God's family is not found in ethnic lineage, but in Christ's lineage. He is the true son. Israel was depicted as a child, depicted as a son in the Old Testament. You see this in Exodus chapter 4. You can turn there if you would like. It says this in verse 21 of Exodus 4, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he, we will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, the, this Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Israel is seen as a son, as a child. Hosea chapter 11 verses 1 and 2. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son the more they were called, the more they went away, and they kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. And flip over to Matthew, the gospel account, the very first book in the New Testament, that though Israel is a child, though they were a son, they are not the true son. They failed to do what God commanded, just like Adam, just like David, and just like us, they were not the true seed. And Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy. A genealogy in this way. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of God, or the son of David, and the son of Abraham. When you hear that in the original Greek, the original hearers would have heard the book of the genealogy would have sounded much like the term Genesis. And he was calling back to the language of the Genesis account. He's borrowing language from Genesis chapter 5 that says this in verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. But Matthew says this is the book of the generation or the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He is more than just a better Israel. He is the better Adam. He's also the son of David. He's the better David. He's also the son of Abraham. He is the better Abraham. And then in Matthew chapter 2, something takes place. You see it in verses 13 through 15. Now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and they departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Note what Hosea said. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Quoting from the book of Hosea, he is now the new and better Israel. He is not just the better David. He's not just the better Adam. He's not just the better Abraham. He's the true and better Israel. He is the true son. And Matthew continues to build in Matthew chapter 4 in Jesus going into the wilderness. The same wilderness 
and the same temptations that Israel encountered and failed, Jesus is encountering and succeeding. Matthew does not want you to miss that he is the seed. He is the true son. He is the true and better Israel. And he's accomplished everything written in the law. And so in Luke 2, verses 21 and 22, at the end of eight days, Jesus was circumcised. Verse 22, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until it is accomplished. And in Galatians 4.4, Paul says, At the fullness of time, it was the right time. God sent forth his Son, Fully God, born of a woman, fully man, born under the law, but never enslaved to it. It was in the fullness of time and it was at the right time. How many of you are thankful this morning that God is always in control and understanding whether it was the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, the Roman infrastructure that connected the world that would set the cosmic stage of redemption for the coming of Christ? We ultimately cannot know, but what we can see this morning is that through it all, God was in control. God was working all things for his purposes, and God is doing everything right, and in his timing, God chose to send the Christ to accomplish salvation at the right time, and it was at the fullness of time that God would do this. Flip over in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. What a comfort it is for us this morning to know that God is not off his throne. And for those of us going through difficulty or suffering even now, you know that it's not meaningless. And through it all, hear me, God can be trusted. What a truth that's buried in this text. But this is also how he saves all of his children, is it not? In his own timing. God is sovereign, amen? And he is sovereign over and in salvation. Look at Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan, note this, for the fullness of time 
to unite all things in himself, things in heaven and on earth. In him, we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is in control and has appointed the time of salvation for his children. And those who have been born again, praise God, were redeemed in God's perfect timing. Paul will begin to speak in just a moment about our salvation in terms of adoption. And you can take this and what it means. What that means is this, is that adoption, note this, it takes a lot of time and a lot of planning. And it takes place because there is a calculated plan to make it a reality. And the text here in Galatians 4, 4 and in Ephesians 1, as we just read, God had your adoption papers planned before the south, before the, he created the world. Before there was sin, before there were demons, before there was a hell, before there was Satan, God had your adoption papers filled and signed. Praise God. And the truth of God's patience and plans, I don't fully understand, but I see it in the text and I believe it. Amen. But know that he is always good and know that he can always be trusted. And for those of us that are outside of Christ this morning, if you're listening to this, hear me. God is being so patient with you not wishing that any of you would perish, but desires that you would repent. Don't delay. Now is the time. Now is the appropriate time. God sent forth his son, fully God, born of a woman, fully man, born under the law. Note the text, to redeem those who were under the law. The word for redeem there is the word that means to purchase. It means to deliver. It means to set free. It hearkens us back to the truth that we see in this text, that we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. It points us back further to Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, that we were under lock and key in bondage, that we were under the mastery of sin and we were under the law. But the same word is used in Galatians chapter 3, that we were not only enslaved, but we were also under a curse because we did not fulfill the law's demands. In Galatians 3.3, the same word is used for the word redeemed, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And that we're redeemed by the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, Son of God, fully God, Son of man, fully man, living and fulfilling the law, fulfilling all righteousness and dying in our place and being raised and securing salvation. Note the text, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Point three, our adoption. Look at the text. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What a glorious truth that we see in these final verses here. What a rich and glorious truth to consider here. 
that those who are, have been freed from the bondage of the law and of sin are now free in Christ and are adopted children of God. And Paul, in great amazement here, says that we here, once again, both Jews and Gentiles, are adopted into God's family. In the same way that we were all under sin, both Jews and Gentiles all have been rescued now from the bondage of sin and enter into God's family through adoption. And while the Apostle Paul makes an appeal of Israel in Romans 9 and Gentiles being grafted in, he anchors his argument, as I've said many times, not through ethnicity, but in Christ. He says in Romans 9, beginning in verse 4, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. But he continues, it says, not all who descended from Abraham are Abraham's offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And it is not the children of the flesh, but as the children of the promise who are his true offspring. Who is God's chosen people? What appears to be Israel in the Old Testament now becomes clear. It is not those of the flesh. It is instead those of faith, as it always had been. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God's people, then, are those who are in Christ and adopted into God's family through Christ. Paul uses a word for adoption that means a legal placing of a person as a son. And that all of God's children are brought into his family through adoption, not of natural descent, but through Christ. We are adopted into his family, both Jews and Gentiles. We were separated and apart from Christ, but now we've been brought into his family, given full rights and privileges as sons in Christ. And I've heard many foolish things and shallow things that are said of even earthly adoptions. Like, well, do you have any real children? Don't say that. Yes, they are true children. They belong into that family. They are fully in every way a child. And moreover, adoption is such a beautiful, invisible picture of the gospel, of someone that's outside of you becoming and belonging legally, fully your children. And what grace it is that we who are outside of Christ have been brought near and into his family by his grace and are now his children through Christ. Do you see the nearness that is being communicated here? That we were enslaved that we were on the outside looking in, that God came in the flesh, born in the likeness of men, under the law, the law that we were condemned under. And now through Christ, we are no longer condemned, no longer on the outside looking in, but we have been brought near through Christ and we are sons. But it gets so much better than that. Look at the text in verse six. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That his spirit now dwelling in us and giving us the giving of his spirit is the very proof and evidence of your sonship. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8. That the nature of being born again, I've said it as you're turning there, is a supernatural work of God and the giving of his spirit. 
giving you life to your dead soul and to your heart of stone and making you into a new creature in Christ. And the giving of his spirit is a guarantee of our sonship and inheritance, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. But notice what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness or confirms with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit of Christ is in us, bearing witness with us, saying, Your sons, your sons, your sons, your sons. Do you know this type of assurance, believer? You should. And I pray that you do. And note, the Spirit is crying. He's crying. Note the text into our hearts. Abba, Father. And the Greek word for Abba, it means Father. It means Daddy. But some flippantly render this as just merely Daddy. So they begin their prayers like Dad or Daddy. And I think to speak in this way misses what the New Testament and how the New Testament uses this term, Abba. What some have called the Abba cry is not merely just a title. It's a cry. It's a cry of desperation. It's a cry of dependence. It's, it's a scream. Daddy, I need you. Hence why in this text, the Spirit is crying, Abba, Father. In Romans 8.15, the Spirit is crying, Abba, Father. And it's used again in Mark 14. You can turn there and see this. Mark 14.36, you know this scene. Jesus is in the garden, greatly distressed, greatly troubled before his crucifixion. And he says to his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed, If it were possible that this hour might pass from him. And in his humanity, the true Son of God, seeing the cup filled with the wrath of his Father, about to be poured out on him for the sin of the entire world. And he is about to be crushed, put to death, sacrificed unto death. And he fixes his gaze knowing the full weight of what is about to take place. And in Mark 14, 36, he looks up and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And in total resolve to accomplish the will of the Father, he says, yet not I will, but what you will. This is the Abba cry. It's a cry. Daddy, I need you. Russell Moore describes in his book, Adopted for Life, he describes when he went to the Ukraine and adopted his two boys, what he calls the strange silence of the orphanage. At a place that you would expect to hear lots of commotion or play or maybe even laughter, but certainly the crying of children, that is what children do after all. 
Instead, he walks into the orphanage, he and his wife, and they hear the eerie sound of nothing. Deafening silence. And he goes on to explain that over time, when a child cries and no one is there to console them or comfort them, the child simply gives up and is without hope and essentially says it's futile. There's no reason to cry anymore. No one has been attentive to my cry for help. And what good news it is this morning that God hears the cry of his spirit and he is attentive to his children when they call to him. And when the spirit of his son comes upon a troubled sinner in power and in grace crying, Daddy, save me. He hears his children. And to those who have been saved and they're troubled and they're overwhelmed by the worry of this world and our soul is crushed and we feel like we're going under, we're worried, distressed, and we cry, Daddy, help. He hears us, and he is near, and he does not leave us as orphans, and he does not leave us as slaves to sin, and he does not leave us enslaved to the world and in bondage to sin, destined to perish without hope. We are no longer slaves through Christ, but we have been brought near and adopted as sons and are children in the household of God. Galatians 4, 7, so we're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. And what good news it is this morning that God knows what he's doing, that God had a plan and a purpose, and God is accomplishing salvation for his people and sending Christ and saving you at the proper time. And for those still in bondage and in sin and enslaved to sin, Know that at the right time, God sent his son into the world to redeem you from the curse of the law. And at the right time, when you were still in your sin, Christ died for you. When you could do nothing to save yourself, Christ died for you. And my prayer today is that today, may the spirit of God move into your hearts and breathe life into your dead heart and breathe you, bring you from death to life and that you would be born again. Is God speaking to you today through his word? Is his spirit beckoning you to repent? It's the right time, sinner. It's the right time. Once you come, come to Christ. He won't turn you away. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.